You're listening to Find Your Voice, a podcast made in collaboration with community-backed independent for Goldstein, Zoe Daniel. We acknowledge that this podcast is recorded on the traditional land of the Bunurong people of the Kulin Nation. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Find Your Voice. This is a podcast that we're using just to have a chat about things that are happening in Goldstein and also around Australia, trying to address some topical issues and also some of the big policy questions. And my guest this week is Danny Valence. Danny is a food writer and hospitality advocate. We do know each other, and I thought it was really timely to get Danny on because of everything that's happening currently with COVID, rapid testing or the lack of it, and just how those things are affecting the hospitality industry, which of course has been drastically affected by COVID uh, over the last two years. Danny, thanks for taking the time to talk to us in your holidays. Oh, it's it's a pleasure, Zoe. I mean, apparently COVID doesn't stop for summer holidays. <laughs> Yep, there is no holiday from this virus, which is unfortunate. Now, I know you're really plugged in to the hospo industry. So just paint us a picture of how hospitality businesses are navigating what's going on in regard to testing and this sudden surge of the Omicron variant. Yeah, I mean, navigating isn't a bad word because I think they're finding it incredibly challenging. It feels a bit rudderless at the moment and like no one's actually steering the ship. So I think, you know, like a lot of us are probably feeling it's an incredibly unstable period. People are feeling really depleted anyway from, you know, two years of, you know, we all know what. And this was supposed to be the summer of recovery. You know, it's such a busy period for hospitality in the city and, of course, in the regions as people, you know, travel and have their holidays. And that just hasn't happened. It, it, it hasn't happened on the back of a very difficult period of trading anyway, despite being open. Every hospitality business in the country is understaffed. So it's been a challenging period anyway to have the workforce there to recover the income or, you know, try to get a bit of momentum and recover from, you know, the difficult times that everybody's had. Just take me through the nuts and bolts of how it might be affecting some of those hospo businesses. So if, if I'm a, a smallish or medium-sized restaurant, for example, that, as you say, had to shut down largely during COVID, perhaps was doing takeaway, ramped back up to open for the summer, and now we've been belted by this latest wave, what's that doing to my business in a day-to-day context? I mean, it has an impact on every aspect of the business. So, I mean, perhaps let's start at the front of the restaurant as though we're walking in. So from a customer point of view, they're supposed to have a COVID marshal at the door who's checking that they've got their vaccination certificate, making sure they check in. Most restaurants don't really have the ability to dedicate someone to that. So there's there's that side of it. There's that compliance side of it and that filters through the whole restaurant. There's the um, where do they seat people? So a lot of restaurants, even if they're not, they don't have, regulations in place they've been trying to keep people distant they've perhaps been you know trying not to have big groups or not to have groups share tables in, in, which happens in some scenarios it happens like on the menu so someone might be looking at the menu and saying oh but I always have that chicken burger that's where is my chicken burger and it's like well there was a problem with the the guy didn't deliver the rolls or the they didn't they couldn't get the the lid for the mayonnaise uh, tub so that hasn't arrived you know it, it, industry or the whole parts of the whole supply chain 
have been knocked out or disrupted because of COVID. Uh, they might have lost a lot of staff. So one of the issues that we've talked about previously, Zoe, and that I'm really looking forward to you taking up in federal parliament is the issue around visa holders and international workers. So visa holders, you know, might be international students, they might be sponsored chefs, they might be, you know, a great restaurant manager from Italy brought here for their skills or, you know, hung on to by the restaurant because they're so good. A lot of those workers have left the state, left the country, left the industry. They weren't looked after by the federal government with JobKeeper. They were excluded from that package and, yeah, just were told to go home in April of 2020 by the PM. So, you know, that's been a massive issue for most hospitality businesses because they rely on those people. So they were depleted in that regard. What that's meant is that people have been scrambling for staff and looking for staff in other ways. And there is, you know, there is somewhat of an upside to this. Like any school leaver or, you know, 16-year-old on summer holidays could get a job in a restaurant this summer if the restaurant was open and if they didn't have COVID. Uh, so, you know, there's swings and roundabouts. There are, it is good for, you know, restaurants to look towards young Australians, you know, who are already here and say, well, maybe they could do the job. But what it means is that there's a lot of inexperienced staff in front of house and in back of house and if we keep moving through the restaurant and go to the kitchen there's perhaps fewer staff they're trying to feed people during a busy trading period but they're less experienced so from a kind of dining culture point of view what we've seen a lot of is simplified menus simplified dishes chefs that simply aren't able to construct the kinds of dishes that we sort of pride ourselves on in in Melbourne and Victoria as part of our you know great vibrant dining culture so there's been a sort of blanding out and a simplifying of menus. And as someone who's, you know, obsessed with tasting the next thing, it's been, you can just feel the stress and the pressure and the limits that that puts on creativity. Absolutely. It, it sounds like a nightmare for someone who owns a, a restaurant or indeed someone who works in a restaurant. I want to park the issue of uh, visa workers for a moment because I, I think we should address that specifically but first let's talk about the testing situation because you know I've read I think I read a piece that you wrote where someone said you know I, I never would have wished to go back in lockdown but where we are at now is worse than being in in lockdown can you just explain how this uncertainty of testing and the unavailability of rapid tests and the impossibility of getting a PCR test is specifically affecting those hospitality businesses? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, if we, all through the pandemic, everyone's been told, you know, the slightest sign of symptoms, go and get a test. And until quite recently, that's always meant the PCR test. Um, there hasn't been, I mean, you know, sure, there's been long waits at times for, for PCR testing, but it's never been like it is at the moment or like it's been, you know, over the Christmas and New Year period for us. And as, you know, as we're all familiar with, when you have a PCR test, you go home and isolate, you don't go to work. So that's fine. And there's been a $450 payment for workers who lose, who aren't able to work during that period. But that period has always been like a day you know, two days, if it's two days, you'll start complaining about it. Now, when people are waiting, you know, three, four, five, six, seven days for test results, that really knocks them out of the workforce. So a lot of restaurants have had to close simply for that reason, because people are isolating, waiting for test results. You know, as, as Omicron's surged, you know, it's been more and more likely that those results will come back positive. Yeah, so there's that aspect to it. As rats have come in as you know one of the tools that we're using some businesses have you know had a supply of those and they've been proactively testing their workforce before 
they start their shift. Um, so some businesses have been spending, you know, two or three thousand dollars a week on these tests when they were able to get them. And I mean, you know, we've talked about some of the impacts on restaurants. I didn't even mention the financial impacts. You know, of course, restaurants are still needing to pay rent. A lot of them it will be would have been hoping to catch up on deferred or reduced rent during this period. And of course, you know, they've got their suppliers to pay. And a lot of people, you know, a lot of restaurants run pretty tight, pretty lean, pretty close to the bone. So they're always just trying to, it's always a little bit of catch up and there's just not the, the fat in most of these businesses to account for periods where you're just simply not trading and perhaps still have liabilities in terms of, you know, sick leave liabilities that people can use up if they're if they have COVID, which you know they have to use up before they can take any pandemic payments from the government. So They've been trying to, they've been spending a lot of money on these tests. So that's a drain on a financially stressed business. When they haven't been able to get the tests, they then are not able to offer that sense of safety and comfort for their workers and their diners, Mm -hmm. you know, that they that they want to do. And when they're not able to get tested, this is a bit of a tricky area, Zoe, but I think it's worth talking about, you know, when you don't make it easy for people to do the right thing, you some of them will do things that are probably not quite right. And so I have heard of businesses where workers are not able to access tests or you know it's going to be a total, like, debacle, it's going to knock you out, but they're like, just keep working. Don't Mm. worry about it. It's just a Mm. sniffle. You know, it's just hay fever. Um, Mm. So there is a little bit of that going on as well. And in terms of support for businesses, because obviously during a lockdown period, there's been availability of various supports or during periods where there have been density quotas, which I understand are probably going to be reintroduced if they haven't been already in Victoria. But does that mean those businesses also then can't access some of the support that they might be able to access if we were locked down, for example? Well, Yes, it does mean that. And I mean, the trigger for financial support from state and federal governments has always been trading restrictions. Having said that, you know, New South Wales has been operating with density restrictions um, for some weeks and they haven't had any support along to go along with that. South Australia did institute some business support when they brought in density and capacity restrictions a few weeks ago. The Victorian government has reinstituted some density caps for restaurants. It's one person per two square metres for dining inside. You know, going on, you know, the history of the last couple of years, you would say that financial support follows on from trading restrictions. That's usually... That kind of support's usually been from the state governments and then the more, the income support that's either gone to businesses or to individuals through either um, job uh, keeper or the COVID disaster payments that went directly to individuals. That's really come in, that's been triggered by lockdowns. And mm. there doesn't seem to be any appetite from the federal or state governments for actual lockdowns. So what we've got at the moment is lockdown light where businesses are effectively unable to trade but without the government support that makes that somewhat survivable. Yeah. All right. So before we move on to the visa worker issue, just to try to get some perspective on this issue of the rats. So given how expensive they are, as you said, some businesses are spending a fortune on it, others can't get them to test their staff. I mean, I've been a, an open proponent of free rats, thinking that that creates some equity back into a system and it's also an economic imperative for businesses like this. Is that what the industry wants or what more would make a difference at this moment? I mean, have you heard anyone say that they don't want them or that they think <laughs> it isn't a good idea? Like, there is actually no argument 
except if you perhaps were a leader who'd backed themselves into a corner by saying they couldn't be free, then perhaps you still think they can't be free. There's really, it, there's really no argument. I mean, who, if the government pays for them, well, we've paid for them with our taxes. So, yeah, I mean, there's so many great examples, uh, you know, that I think we really pride ourselves on in Australia for medical care that's accessible to all. And I would just put these quite comfortably in the same bucket. Yeah, they help people look after their own health and those of the people around them. They will help businesses to trade. It's just, it's like, it's the actual no-brainer. Okay, I think we're agreed on that. Now let's move <laughs> on to visa workers. And as you said, this yeah. is something that you and I have talked about. So what shortfall does that leave in regard to workers for the hospitality industry looking forward? Before we talk about that, I will just say that visa holders were able to access the COVID disaster payment, which was through 2021. So that made a massive difference. I think just in terms of people staying here and being able to survive, but also in terms of the sense of belonging and just parity as, as part of the community of people that is living here, they should be supported. The, what, the difference it makes is, I mean, it's simply, it's, you could say, okay, it's simply numerical. There just aren't enough people staffing restaurants. And, you know, the, the argument to that or the counter argument to that is often um, employ Australians or just pay them more. Uh, and, like, yes, in some ways, yes, we talked about, you know, yes, employ school leavers, you know, entice them into restaurants. That's great. Pay them more. Yes, there are still a lot of shonky operators in restaurants and the way the visa system is structured or in a sense bonds some workers to restaurants. Their visa is tied to a particular employer, which makes them extremely vulnerable to exploitation and underpayment. So there's that. But it's, there simply aren't the workers. So there's, you know, restaurants that are, will pay well above the award and they're still not able to attract the workers at the moment. So there's that simple, like, lack. But then there's also a skills shortage. So these aren't just bodies. These are people that know how to do certain things, whether it's, you know, a, a pizzaiola from Italy who really knows how to stretch, stretch the dough properly, or whether it's, you know, someone um, from India who really knows, you know, that you ferment the dosa batter for this long, but then you've got to cook it, like then you've got to use it, you know. So these are people who've got skills and knowledge, you know, restaurant managers, that's a big one, you know, people that have the skills and, yeah, just the talent uh, and the ability to manage a restaurant. We all can get. We all can understand when walking to a restaurant, you get that feeling like it's being, it's a shambles, or it's being run properly. And the difference in that those feelings is so often just someone who's had the skills and experience at, at managing people and managing the many moving parts that make up a restaurant. So it's it's manpower, uh, but it's also the skills that um, each of those people bring to the job. And therefore, what's the policy setting that's needed? Is it a case of opening up for people to come back into the country if they've hit a particular level of vaccination? Is it, is it a, a skilled migration issue? Where's the balance there to try to at least start moving back into some sort of normality? For yeah, the well, I mean, the borders are open so international students and sponsored workers um and backpackers could come in <laughs> i don't know how like you know there, there's not a flood 
Um, mm. And I think part of the reason. And so, today, is that an uncertainty issue then, or what's that? I think about? I think Australia hasn't had lots of discussions with chefs from overseas, or you know, hospitality workers from overseas, and and some of them are still here, like trying to get their permanent residency. Other, but some are saying, you know, I've got this one more shot. Like the system is labyrinthine and so slow and expensive and uh, sometimes illogical and also ever-changing. There's so many ways that it could be improved. But it, but from a reputational issue, I think Australia's really done itself damage by not looking after these people during a diff difficult period. It was entirely foreseeable that we would be in a workforce hole on the other side of the pandemic if there is ever going to be another side. But you know, at all these moments where restaurants have tried to recover, the you know, it's like, where are the workers? Oh, we sent them home. You know, we didn't, we told them we couldn't look after them. So off you go. So, I mean, I, I, are they going to rush back? Apparently not. Uh, but, and so yeah. what is it, what is the industry looking for, do you think? I mean, is it an incentive program? Is it fast tracking? What, what would make a difference? Well, my view is that anybody who's stuck it out through this period and is on a pathway to permanent residency should have that permanent residency expedited and basically granted. There are so many people, you know, I'm thinking again about these sponsored workers. Ugh, so some of them get into such terrible situations, you know, they've got this three or depending on which visa they came in, a three or a four year track to permanent residency through during which time they have to stay with one employer and you know therefore are subject to pressure you know whether it's to work longer hours or to accept substandard conditions almost held to ransom you know that the employer just simply won't put in their papers or you know do their part of it they the employer is also like subject to fees so sometimes visa holders are you know under the table asked to pay for pay the employer's share of those those fees it's, it's bad so those people should be definitely be fast-tracked i think what all Australians can do or anybody that's here can do is really think about the value that value valuing hospitality more valuing the skills and and experiences that those people deliver to all of us I think it's always been or long been seen as something that people do while they're waiting to do something else um it's not valued and I think when we don't value uh, a workforce we you know, there's a dynamic that means that they're likely to be ill-treated, paid less, um, not cared for properly. So, and I think, you know, that also intertwines with the, the casualization of the workforce. You know, it suits some people to be working as casuals, but we've certainly seen in many industries through this period particularly that a casualized workforce is, um, yeah, just by definition lacks the security that comes from um, permanent employment and that can be really damaging to people's lives, you know, in all kinds of ways, you know, what, whether they can, you know, get loans, get credit cards, all that kind of stuff. And it just also makes them feel bad. And it's, you know, the difference in the mental health of people that were supported through the pandemic and those that weren't is, really considerable and really stark and really just really sad when you hear how hard people have struggled to get through and then you think about that they've gone back to their job in a restaurant and someone's like being grumpy at them because they got the wrong coffee you know it's mm. like it's it, all of this swirl of stuff from policy 
to culture to just simple interhuman interactions like it's all part of the same story to me and yeah I think there are so many ways that we can do better as a country at every at every step so just finally on that I'm curious who's listening on this and is this an intergovernment issue is it for state and federal governments to get together and are they talking about this <laughs> um <laughs> Oh, look, I think immigration's federal and I think that's probably as it should be. And so, you know, awards are federal and that's perhaps also as it should be. I, I think it's definitely definitely on the radar. I don't think that, that everybody in the federal government thinks of people from other countries as the same as, you know privileged white Australians and that's a real that's a just I don't know it's baffling to me but it's a real problem I mean it's structural and it's deep and it's a big question <laughs> so I think mm. you know who could no one could fail to see there's a big problem or some big problems but I don't yeah. know if people necessarily come up with the same answers or have the same just feelings of frustration and I don't know just just take on some of the actual trauma that some people experience because of the regulatory and cultural environment that um yeah that they're embedded in yeah well Danny thank you for talking to me about this today hopefully at least we've created some perspective around this issue for people and if nothing else I ask you that next time you go and get a coffee at your local coffee shop or sit down for a meal at your local restaurant please be patient with the staff the long-suffering staff who have endured a couple of years of really hard times in a different way to to a lot of us and are also really struggling to keep their businesses afloat danny valench appreciate your time thank you thanks for having me good to chat You can learn more about Zoe, her policies, and how you can support this grassroots campaign at zoedaniel.com.au. And if you enjoyed this episode, leave a review and share with your family and friends. Every bit of support matters. This podcast is authorised by Zoe Daniel, Level 1, 9-214 Bay Street, Brighton, Victoria, 2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-